After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to the Baseball America Dynasty Podcast. This is your host, Jeff Ponce, one of the prospect writers here. I am joined, as always, by our lead fantasy analyst, Dylan White. Dylan, How's it going? Big week. We're finishing up our positional rankings here. The pitchers just went live on Monday. We're going to have the dynasty list out sometime this week. Um, should be very shortly. And uh, that kind of culminates our off-season ranking work and kind of sets the stage for the list that you're going to be, where we'll be curating and sort of updating throughout the season. Um, spring training's upon us. We have the WBC that's starting today. We're recording this on Tuesday. So it's starting 11 o'clock Eastern time on Tuesday night. we got a whole slate of games going over the next couple of days. I'm going to be down there for the semifinals and the final myself. But I was just down in Florida uh, for a very interesting reason. I uh, got the invite for my first time uh, participating in labor. If you don't aren't familiar with labor, it is the oldest industry league uh, or experts league that's out there. Um, a lot of, you know, very well-known analysts have competed in this league dating back to its, um, you know, sort of initial flagship league, I, I think involved Keith Olbermann um, of ESPN fame. And then, you know, several other media outlets before he went sort of not sports into more real news. Uh, but also Peter Gammons, who is like my personal hero, the person that, you know, I aspire to be. Um, so being able to participate in this was a lot of fun. It was also great because I got to go down to Palm Beach, which is arguably my favorite place to go for baseball-related stuff. East coast of Florida, really easy to drive around. I love the weather. It's pretty. You know, there's good Cuban food. There's Wawa everywhere, so I can get, like, a great sandwich at, like, 1 o'clock in the morning if I'm writing something. So it's kind of like my perfect baseball destination. I was glad to get down there. I saw some interesting games. I think we'll talk about that a little bit later. But I'm going to kick it over to you, Dylan, and you can sort of go through my labor team here with me. Ask me some questions. It was a 12-team NL-only auction, so only National League players, $260 budget, all that sort of normal stuff that you typically are, are used to with an auction. Dylan, I'll shut up now, and, and you can sort of drive the bus. I'm stepping from behind the wheel. I'm handing you the boat. <laughs> I'm swinging my leg over you and uh, getting you to scooch <laughs> and grabbing the, the steering wheel. Um, yeah, so I'm looking at your your uh, the the board here. You got you're saying the like preeminent names: Jeff Zimmerman, Derek Cardi, a whole bunch of people. Um, I guess the first question is for auctions in general. What was or th- this 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 league in general? What was your general approach? Did you want to do stars and scrubs? Did you want to get value? Did you want to just accumulate regular players? 
a lot of questions in there. So, so kind of break down how you approached the draft before or the auction before you went in. Sure. So, and I know you were involved a little bit with this prep. So what I did was I pulled the auction calculator and only with the scoring settings, league setting it's five by five roto. Um, and I looked at steamer. I looked at the bat, of course, because I was going to be sitting there with Derek Hardy competing against him. Pretty good to have his numbers there for hitters. Of course, I looked at some bad X too. Um, but also I, I had brought an ATC, which, you know, sort of blends a few different, um, you know, uh, uh, um, projections. So felt like that was useful. Came up with some auction values for all of them. I felt like that kind of gave me a range of like what sort of the floor was on a lot of these guys, not necessarily the ceiling. Um, my goal, I think going in and the more I had like sort of sat down and used my budget to kind of buy a team, right? Like we, we sort of do that. Like, okay, what could I possibly build within this range? If I put like three to $4 inflation on each player, which I think is pretty typical. Like that's usually what market value is. It's three to four, maybe $5 more than what you're going to get out of the auction calculator. That stayed pretty true. Um, I kind of tried to, to build a very potent offense with like one star pitcher and then a couple of good values that I had already sort of highlighted. So the last thing that I did is I went through my auction board and I just sort of highlighted yellow and marked X within my spreadsheets. Um, all the players that I was like, Hey, I want to be in on these guys. These are players that I would like to have on my team, you know? And I sort of like in auction worked my strategy around that. I do some funky stuff that I don't think everybody necessarily agrees with. I'm comfortable with it. I think it works. We can get into that in a little bit. Um, but in terms of preparation, you know, I had a good idea of what the values were, what they were going to contribute to my team. And I really wanted to leave there with like a robust offense, particularly within the infield where I felt like some of the traps really lied there because of the nature of the benches in this league, the replacement values are a lot harder, you know, to find somebody who's a quality second baseman, quality third baseman first baseman, shortstop. So I did sort of go a little heavy on stars there. Um, I don't think I wanted too many scrubs. I think with any NL only league, when it's 12 teams, like you're going to have some guys where you're like, eh, I don't know how much I necessarily <laughs> love some of the guys at the bottom of my roster in terms of hitters. But um, I, I also had like targeted prospects I was going after. So I had a separate list of like, these are the NL prospects that have been in AAA that I think could potentially be up at some point this season. There's another benefit to that if you read the labor rules. You can't drop to your bench an active MLB hitter. If you move that guy to your bench, you really just you have to drop him is what happens. So you have to more or less stick with those MLB guys. So I wanted to have some hitters that I really trusted. And in terms of my bench, I targeted a couple of MLB guys that I think could break camp and then a handful of like close to the majors prospects that I think could be difference makers um, and would be sort of hot because I can keep them on my bench. I can stash them and I can move them up. Um, also put two guys that I players that I think will get demoted at the end of camp, but were in triple a um, and with both of those guys, and I was going to do this either way. So like I had a handful of guys, I, I happened to get two players that I really wanted to target for a dollar at the end. We'll talk about that in a minute, but the strategy there was that I could move those guys to my bench and the couple of MLB players that I have on my bench, I could then one pitcher and one hitter, I could slide them in and it was just really seamless. And I didn't have to worry about losing any of that value that I felt I had gotten in the auction. So that's sort of what my preparation was, what my, my mentality was. Um, and we can talk about the team. 
Yeah, so in an auction, obviously, the difference between an auction and a draft is like in a draft, if you're picking 15th, you're not going to be able to get Acuna. You're not going to be able to get Trey Turner. But in an auction, you can. You just have to be willing to pay for it. So you were talking about earlier how you're kind of marking with yellow or X guys you want to target. Sounds like infielders is where you want to hammer them. So who are these these guys that you really wanted to hit and who you ended up getting? Yeah, so um, in terms of the infielders, I was indifferent on shortstops. Um, Lindor went for a little bit more than I thought he was going to. So it was like, okay, I'll stay off of that one. I kind of had my floors, especially early. I understand that like the buying power and for me in auctions is that middle of the auction when people are spent a lot of dollars and then maybe they spent too many and they start to get cautious. And like, that's when some deals start to come to the table. So I did that, I think pretty well. Um, I wanted to have Freddie Freeman on my team. For whatever reason, I just felt like first baseman, the value, um, the balance between power, potential for runs, RBIs, and home runs, really hard to replace that. I wasn't concerned at first base so much um, with stolen bases. I'm less concerned with stolen bases this year in general. Um, so really, a lot of it for me was like, hey, I want to have a powerful infield, one that's going to provide home runs, and a couple of good outfielders that I, I think will fit in. And I try to get some flexibility within there, too. Freddie Freeman, no one's going to be, I got him for $38. That was the guy that I think I paid the most money for in the auction. Um, no one's going to be shocked that I got Jonathan India. I really like my price on Jonathan India. I got Jonathan India for 14 when Bryson Stott went for 15. Gene Segura went for 13. Von Grisham, who I like in, in Dynasty, went for 23. This is a redraft. Um, Kettle Marte went for 15. So I felt like my value was really good there with Jonathan India. And the second base position sort of drops off the table quickly. I also got a lot of depth there because I felt like it was a tradable position. Um, other guys that I had grabbed, Xander Bogarts, um, I got for $25. I think just consistency, once again, batting average. You know, we saw after last year the way batting averages dropped. I don't know if it will happen again this year. I think with some of the shift rules and things, maybe not so much. Xander's going to hit, though. Xander hits. He's in a really good lineup, just like Freeman's in a really good lineup. And I felt that that sort of provided, excuse me, some value um, in terms of, you know, run production, RBI production, chasing some of those numbers in a in a 12-team NL-only league is a little bit harder. Um, and then my big guy, too, at third base, Nolan Arenado, spent 28 on him. He was my third most expensive player. Um, so my outfield, like, excuse me, my infield, I came out with Freddie Freeman, Jonathan India, Xander Bogarts, Nolan Arenado at my premium positions. Um, and then there's also middle infield, corner infield. Um, their middle infield, and I'll talk about this in a minute, I went with a little bit more flexibility. And I have three different guys that can slot in at different positions there and fill, but also can play some outfield. Um, and then with my corner infield, I got Brett Batty at $3, who I really like this season. He was really impressive for me in spring training. He's been hitting. There's a lot of talk that he could win this third base job. Um, and some of the changes he's made just in terms of taking what the pitcher gives him, driving things to the opposite field and hitting it hard in the air is not something we had seen before. We're seeing that now. Um, I think he could be a big win at $3. Yeah, I agree. Uh, his, I guess the guy he's battling, Eduardo Escobar, went for six. And I see Derek Carty took Brendan Rogers for six. Was this wasn't before the news was out that he's out for so, season, is it? 
Yeah, this is interesting. And Derek, by the way, left the auction with like, I think the best team based on my calculations. So um, this is in no way a shot to, to Derek, but it was a funny moment in the draft. He didn't realize that Brendan Rogers was injured. I so see. he got Brendan Rogers for $6 and it, he put him on, he, he nominated him at six. No one touched it. And it was like crickets. And he kind of looked around and he was like, "Uh Oh, is there something wrong with Brendan Rogers? And we were like, yeah, shoulder injury. I think he might be out for the season. Um, so that wasn't great. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, Derek has a really good team. So, you know, I don't, I don't want to um, sit here and like throw shade at Derek. He's won this league, I think, multiple times. So um, I'm a newbie. I'm going to shut my mouth there. Um, <laughs> maybe a little bit of a mistake, but I'm sure I made some myself too. And, you know, it, that it's so early. There could be multiple injuries that happen before the season starts. And we're all sort of in the same boat with, with that one. And folks that might've spent a lot more than $6. So um, not the biggest deal in the world, but you know, I think he was beating himself up about it too. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to pile on cause he's, he's so good. I mean, we, we know, we know what Derek Cardi is capable of in this fantasy leagues. And, and obviously not even paying attention really to the day to day and he's still dominating. So kudos to him. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm taking a look at the board here. You got Bogarts for 25 bucks and that, Dansby Swanson 24. Oh, not you didn't get him, but that's the price. O'Neill Cruz at 23. Willie Adamas 23. So yeah, I think that's a good price for Xander Bogarts there. Um, yeah, so catcher, you're you're obviously not as strong as your infield. You have <laughs> Austin Nola and Jacob Stallings. Uh, tell me about that. Was that you were gonna punt catcher or yeah. that's yeah, uh, to me, to me, it was like the the value. Uh, it's a two catcher league, but the value in NL only like two catcher leagues versus like what other people were spending. Um, my names weren't as sexy. Like somebody, you know, um, the NFBC team that was drafted by Sean Childs, he got like Francisco Alvarez and Louis Camposano. I'm not the biggest believer in either of them for this season. Um, I actually like Nola went for the same value, and it wouldn't shock me if Nola ends up seeing like as many at bats as Camposano. Um, and then like Jacob Stallings, he's going to be the starter. Um, I don't really care one way or the other. He was a dollar at the end. So I, I was trying to spend my money on the guys that I felt really were going to be able to contribute and kind of put me over the top. And if the worst thing I'm looking for is a replacement catcher on the waiver wire. Okay. You know, I, <laughs> that's fine. There'll be other guys that, that, you know, maybe pop out. Um, and I think the value in terms of like two catchers other than, like Steve Gardner, who spent 28 on catcher. He's got Tyler Stevenson and Travis Darno. He's the only one with like a really kind of like pair there where it's like, all right, both these guys are probably definitive, like good starters that could provide some value. Like Doug Dennis got real Muto for 26. Um, Kirk Casilli was his other catcher at a dollar, which I kind of feel like, all right, like Stallings, Casilli, like whatever, fine. Um, yeah, so I, I just tend to fade catchers a little bit at this point. And we'll talk about my pitching. I kind of do the same with closers a little bit, which which might be a mistake. We'll see. Um, I just feel like there's such um, volatility with closers um, that a guy that can go for $23 in one of these or $19 can end up losing his job by June 1st. And all of a sudden, a guy that wasn't even you know bought in the auction – is somebody that, you know, is better and a better option. And my kind of line with that is that's why we have fab. That's why we play the game. The game is finding closers and maybe replacement catchers as well. But 
Um, my big thing was focusing on my hitting and making sure that I had high K per nine pitchers. Um, yeah, so I'll shut up now. And if you want, we can go through my outfield and sort of my tricky middle infield depth that I built into the outfield. Yeah, so let, let's let's pause on the pitchers for a second and talk about outfield. So you grabbed uh, Sal Frelick and Cal Mitchell both for a buck as part of your your core outfield. Talk. Let's talk yeah, about that's that. Kind of at the end. So yeah, the reason I grabbed Frelick was he was one of my targets that I had mentioned. Um, minor leaguer up in AAA performed well. I'm very familiar with Frelick's game. I've been watching this kid since back when he was in high school. I've seen his entire you know BC career. I watched him. He was some of the only baseball I got to watch over 2020 was him and, and Cole, uh, Kobe Morissette in the Futures League here when there was no Cape Cod League that summer. So I know Frelick. I know the kind of athlete he is. I know the kind of hitter he is. And this is a top of the scale hit tool, 70 hit tool type of guy, you know, 70 base runner. This guy's going to steal bags. He has enough power um, that, you know, I'm not too concerned with the play, kind of player is if he gives me 10 to 12 home runs, great. Um, but he can steal 30 bases, hit 300 and be up really early in the season, you know, because competitive team, um, I think with their pitching staff, this is kind of like their, one of their last like big competitive windows with the team that they have, you know, Woodruff, et cetera. So I kind of believe in him. And he was a dollar at the end. He was one of the last guys I threw out. At that point, everybody else had outfielders. So I had kind of strategically held him close to the vest and then thrown him out there. Um, and he's a player, like I said, I, with these rules, I can demote him, promote my guy from, from my bench that's in the majors because I have to. And, you know, when he's ready to go, you know, real easy to slot into the lineup. And that's one of the reasons I went with that. Cal Mitchell was, I think, the last guy that I put out there. I needed an outfielder, um, or I needed really a utility guy. Nolan Gorman had just went before him. So I uh, I grabbed Mitchell because contact skills, batting average league, he does have some power. He's been up to the majors. He's in the 40, on the 40-man. He's hit some leadoff this this season as well, uh, This excuse me, this spring as well. So, I, you know, I felt like it was one of those guys that I could grab if it works out and he's starting. Great. If he's not, I'll drop him and find somebody else, a model that attached to him. Gives me a little bit of flexibility in my, my roster, which I do like, because there will be a hitter or two. They're going to be worth grabbing and rostering uh, throughout the season. So that's sort of how I built um, that there. And then you can go through the, uh, the the money guys in my outfield, so to speak. Yeah, you got Chris Bryant, and then you have uh, Jeff McNeil and Brendan Donovan as uh, sort of the guys who have multiple eligibility where you could plug them into outfield, like you're saying. Mm -hmm. and have Frelick drop and bring up somebody like Matt Mervis on your bench um, to take that spot. So to talk about uh, Chris Bryant as your number one outfielder. Yeah, so um, Bryant to me, I just think it's a nice bounce back. It's a really good dollar value, $17 I felt um, for what he can provide if he has a full healthy season in Coors. He could be a really big win for me. Um, you know, you're not going to get a lot of stolen bases, but I do think you'll get some power. You'll probably get some counting stats, some batting, uh, excuse me, some home runs as well. Um, so I like him. I, I'm, I'm banking. I, he's one of my bounce back guys for this season. Um, we'll see how that goes. But I, I felt like at 17 bucks, it, it was a good value. And, you know, I kind of liked him paired up with that, flexi that flexibility combo, as I call them. Donovan, I spent $15 on. I spent more on Donovan than other people probably would have wanted. I got pushed up there in the in the auction. And it was like I had already lost Jordan Walker. And I was like, uh, I'm not losing this guy. This guy's going to be on my team. The reason I like Brendan Donovan so much is 
he not only is second base eligible and outfield eligible, he's third base eligible as well, which means with a middle infield and corner infield spot, he can fit into a bunch of different places. That provides me flexibility in terms of who I grab off the waiver wire because I can pretty much grab any position I want to sort of fill in. Um, and because of Donovan, I can move him around my roster without too much of a concern. The other thing is he's looked really good in spring. The bat fitting stuff I do believe in, and that whole narrative, he did this, even did the same thing that Goldie and Arenado did last year. We saw the results that they got. Um, physically, he looks even stronger than the last time I had seen him last year and then in the AFL prior to that. Um, really good all-around player, and he's been hitting leadoff. And and from everything I've, I've heard from the Cardinals folks um, – because I do work that beat a little bit, was in the clubhouse, got to ask some questions. And it sounds like Donovan might be their leadoff guy. So if he's hitting leadoff behind a, a lineup that features, you know, Goldie, Arenado, um, we love Newt Bar, we love Jordan Walker, Tyler O'Neill. These are all guys that can drive in runs. And that could potentially lead to Brendan Donovan having quite a few runs, and I think he'll steal some bases. Um, and he has that flexibility. So He's a guy that I think I'll probably have on most of my teams this year. Um, I have Tout coming up, probably going to be a, 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 a target for me and Tout for sure as well. Um, so he was like a must-have. Jess McNeil was another guy that when I went through and, and highlighted players and, 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 and marked guys that I really wanted, like McNeil as well, batting average, you know, concerned about that again, in a good lineup, could hit fairly high in the lineup depending on the day and the matchups. Um and he's got second base and outfield eligibility. So once again, he gives me some of that flexibility to sort of move around my roster without having to be like, ah, oh, I have to add this, you know, bad second baseman to replace India if he got hurt or whatever. Um, or I can only grab this guy. You know, it gave me some flexibility in terms of what I wanted to do. So, um, you know, having that flexibility to grab the best player available off the waiver wire, I felt was a big advantage. So, um I got McNeil for 16, Donovan for 15, Bryant for 17. And then the last guy, if we want to talk about him, is Garrett Mitchell. I don't know if you have any questions about why I'm in on Mitchell, but I have a very, maybe a little bit of a spicy take on Mitchell a little bit. Uh, no, I want to hear the spicy take. You, took, you talked about self-relic already in that, that outfield, and so Garrett Mitchell's also in that outfield. So sure. uh, it seems like you're targeting the Brewers. So uh, <laughs> I guess so. Garrett Mitchell well, here. I, you know, I think the, the thing, too, is it's a great batting, a, a great park to hit in. It's kind of like India has great American ballpark, but there aren't enough reds that you actually want to roster. Um, and I wasn't all that crazy about Will Myers. So um, for me with Mitchell, I think the, the the floor is really high. And the reason I say that is Mitchell is a top of the scale defender. He is a great defender in center field. He's a guy they're going to need in center this year. He's gotten a decent amount of playing time in the major leagues already. He's showing the ability to hit the ball hard in the air. Mitchell, dating back to his days at UCLA, has always hit the ball hard. Hasn't always been able to elevate and tap into that raw power. After a few years working with major league hitting coaches, it seems like he's starting to get that. He's really fast. He's a guy, and this is my spicy take, I think that Garrett Mitchell could end up being the guy that people think Jake McCarthy is with more certainty around his playing time because he's not in as much of a crunch because he is the best center field defender or outfield defender in that, in that outfield. And they're going to need that. Um, so if he's hitting for power, we know it. he can run. Um, I think the power will allow the batting average to tick up a little bit. He could score some runs, get some RBIs also have 
500 you know plate appearances or more because he's going to be in center field every single day patrolling that outfield and they sort of need that so at eight bucks i felt like he was a great value um and a player that i really was targeting going into this um and i was happy that it didn't go beyond eight because i felt like that gave me some flexibility with some of my pitching etc I, I like that. That is a spicy take. Mm. I, he went same same price as Lane Thomas, eight bucks. Trent Grisham, eight bucks. Uh, just quickly scanning here for great podcast here. Yeah, one one less than TJ Friedo. Yeah. yeah, Mike Mike uh, Mike Yastrzemski went at nine. Mm. Um, you know, kind of give you some some of the range there of you know guys that were in. Sort of his dollar value. Um, Nolan Jones went for six. Alec Thomas went for six. Brandon Marsh went for mm-hmm. eleven. Um, yeah, so there were a lot of guys here where you're kind of like, uh, yeah, I could see Garrett Mitchell outperforming like people that are in that price range. And I just felt like the upside was there. I wanted to have some upsidey guys. He's definitely an upsidey guy. And the last guy I have here is I grabbed um, Nick Ahmed as a buck as like my utility guy. Ahmed's going to be back this year. Sort of a similar reason. Um, the offense isn't great. I guess, you know, I also interviewed and we can check that interview out in the same, <laughs> the same podcast feed, uh, from yesterday, but, um, Nick's back healthy. Uh, we know what kind of defender Nick is, you know, two-time gold glove winner. Um, he's probably going to hit the bottom of that lineup, but it's a pretty good lineup there, you know, in Arizona. And he should have some certainty around the playing time because he provides, um, you know, that great middle infield defense. That's so hard to come by. So, uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully he gets back to, you know, his 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 best offensive seasons. And, you know, if I got a, a 260, 10 home run, five to six steal season from Ahmed with some 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 runs and RBIs, I think that's perfectly fine as sort of the last player on your active roster here in a 12-team league. And at worst, I spent a dollar if he's not healthy and it's not working out. I replace him with somebody else. He's not my starting shortstop. I have that middle infield depth already. So, you know, I felt okay about that you know i don't i don't think there was um i wasn't panicking too much when when i got him met i think it was the, he actually i think was the last guy that I, I i grabbed in the auction it was only like one or two of us that had any money left at the end yeah i think in a in an only league you want to maximize uh plate appearances and nick ahmed's gonna start he's gonna get 500 plus so that's you're just gonna generate those counting stats so that's definitely a solid play there so yeah. before i go on to the pitchers what you mentioned how you missed out on Jordan Walker. <laughs> who who was the guy that you were bidding up and then you backed off and then he went for that extra dollar and you were killing your kicking yourself because you wish you could have grabbed him. Do you Corbin, remember? Corbin Carroll at 23, man. Like I, I it's funny because after the first break, I went over and I was chatting with James uh and Eric Cross a little bit, James Anderson. And I like I really value James's opinion on on fantasy in general. And I think like we're kindred spirits that we kind of came up at the same time doing prospects and, you know, playing in a lot of these leagues and representing well for prospect guys in the early days of TGFBI. Um, so he was like, dude, like, why didn't you go a little bit more on, on Carol? Like I felt like some of the guys that were going at like 25, 26, like I probably like Carol just as much as those guys. And I think it was early when he got nominated. I backed off a little bit. Um, Sometimes I can suppress my own urges to go after prospects because of the fact that I am a prospect guy and, you know, I try not to be a cliche sometimes and maybe that was wrong. Um, so I, I, I probably should have gone to 25 or 26 
on, um, at least in terms of hitters, we can talk about the pitcher that I bit up and got in a bidding war with Frank on and ended up not winning. But, um, yeah, you know, I kind of wish I had gone 23 there. Um, I don't know how the rest of my outfield would have played out, but I I had been sitting on, like, Arenado at that point. and was like, I need to get Nolan Arenado. I need to make sure I have enough money to buy Nolan Arenado. Got him for a little bit less than I thought I was going to. I thought I was. I was willing to go to like 31, 32 on Arenado. Um, whether it was Manny, Riley, or Arenado, I was going to end up leaving this draft with one of those three. Um, so maybe that's one of the reasons I didn't go after him as much as I maybe could have. Um, you know, I, I, I like Jordan Walker. This was before he hit two home runs. I can only imagine what the price would have been <laughs> the next day um, after he hit those couple of homers. Um, but. Yeah, you know, maybe maybe I'll try to ch- trade for for Walker. Who knows? You know, I'll let him struggle for a couple of weeks, and then when somebody's panicking, I'll swoop in and and try to add him. Um, I'm scanning the board here, and I, it's funny I can't actually find where Walker was slotted. But um, if I remember, it was like fifteen or sixteen. Sixteen bucks. Yep, yep, sixteen bucks. So. Um, you know, I bit them up to 15 and then they went to 16 and I was like, all right, that's my, that's my breaking point. I'm not going any higher than 15. There's some uncertainty around whether he'll be up with the team. Um, I'm feeling better and better that he will. Uh, I might've gone to 17 had it been the, two, the day after the two home runs, but someone might've gone to 20 after that one, frankly, like I, you know, we know how these things work. Um, so, you know, it, it was just the same thing of like, if this draft happened a day earlier, the Andrew Painter news had come out right before that, that he had some, you know, soreness in the elbow, whatever. Uh, and I think he went for like $3 and it's funny cause he probably would have gone for like 12 or four, 12 to 14. I feel like had it been a day earlier. So, um, or had that news broke on Saturday morning or something. So um, it's funny how some of those narratives and things that happen can sort of dictate what the prices are. Um, but I didn't feel as bad about Walker as I did about Corbin Carroll. Cause I feel like Carroll is definitely going to play a lot. And you know, could be the you know, is the front runner for for NL Rookie of the Year in my eyes. Yeah, it's funny how the news can and just shift everything so much. We were talking in the BA Fantasy Summit now available on uh, on demand on the on the website. We were talking how when you set the fab on Sunday nights, and then you know someone grabs a, a save or someone gets taken out of the game because they got beaned in the afternoon. Suddenly, you're just scrambling to change all your fab. Just the the market moves so much on news. So yeah, painter yeah. walker that would have been significantly different had that been a few days earlier or a few days later. Sure. So let's let's go to your pitchers here. Let's talk about pitchers. So we've buried them. This the rest of this podcast is gonna be pitchers. So let's talk <laughs> about it. Your your number one guy, your your ace, the guy locking down your staff, Aaron Nola. You you spent 32 bucks. Um but you didn't just take him and a bunch of scrubs. You got some other good guys in there. So talk about uh, some of the sure. other guys you took: Freddie Peralta, Trevor Rogers. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, Nola at thirty-two. Um, at that point, Burns went for thirty-two. Um, Strider had gone early for thirty. Woodruff went for twenty-eight. Um, Max Scherzer went for thirty. Justin Verlander went for thirty-one. I felt Nola was right in line with those guys. I had him as a $31 value um, based on the, the average um, auction calculator sort of blended rates. Um, so, so it, it felt like it was right around what I was going to have to pay for an ACE. I like Nola. I like the age. I like the performance. Um, I like the ability to get some wins. It's an improved bullpen this year. They're sort of on that world series high. Um, 
So yeah, I felt like I was going to end up with, you know, Burns went really early and I'm not necessarily one to jump in on like the first big name to go to kind of see how the market shakes out. You know, would I have liked to have gotten Nola for like 29 or 30? Sure. Um, but I felt like in the end, I got my my ace. I got my main guy. He's locked in at 32. And, you know, I was then able to sort of go um, progressively down the board and sort of chase, um, you know, some some more upside there. So uh, Peralta to me, I wrote about him. Um, I guess we'll just sort of talk about this now. In our dynasty rankings, he was one of my targets. And, you know, if we look at his last season, he had some shoulder injuries that kind of put him on um you know the il for chunks and he dealt with some stuff you know in the off season he's healthy the shoulder injury for some for some managers or fantasy managers it might have been a blessing in disguise um as it kept him off of the the dominican republic wbc roster so he's not going to have to get some of that extra work there um i'm looking for a bounce back from him he was so good in 2021 um there's caper nine upside there. Some of the metrics and performance numbers, if you look at it, Peralta was just as good last season as he was previously. Good team, should get a fair amount of wins. Um, with that, you know, I just kind of feel like I'm in on most Brewers pitchers. So Peralta was a guy that I was kind of kind of banking on the bounce back a little bit. And I felt like the price, like the discount was baked in. $14 was was sort of great. You know, Luzardo went for 14, Logan Webb went for 17. Joe Musgrove, who's who's hurt already, went for 15. Um, Hunter Green went for 18. Um, so I felt like the price was was pretty good. Um, you know, Charlie Morton went for 15. Um, Trevor Rogers, another guy that I really like this season. Um, you know, he's sort of one of these <laughs> one of these funky one of these sort of funky uh, guys where he had a really bad he had a great 2021, really bad first half. Came on a little bit in the second half, and you could see things starting to come together again. He's looked pretty good this spring. Um, I think the stuff's back. So, you know, at $12, I felt like it was a pretty good value once again. NL only league, good ballpark. Uh, the balance schedule is certainly going to help some of these Marlins pitchers that they don't have to face the Mets and the Braves and the Phillies lineups as much. Um, that certainly helps. You know, unfortunately, he's not going to see the Nationals lineup as much as he would have, but Still, he'll still see enough of the Nationals lineup. So I kind of like that. Good home ballpark, as I mentioned. Also, similar reasons. I went after Edward Cabrera. I think Cabrera could be a breakout this year. Got him for eight bucks. Um, I think he's got three different pitches that had 30% whiff rates when he, when he was in the majors at the end of last season, you know, when he graduated and surpassed prospect status. Somebody was always on when he was a prospect. The command is sort of on the line in terms of what you want to see. I think we could see slight tick-ups in command there. He's got good secondaries. He's got two different fastball shapes. He throws hard. He can get ground balls. He's an interesting player to me. So going after Cabrera at $8, I felt was really good value. Um, Eric Lauer, um, a guy that was pretty good last season. Um, at a $6 value, I felt really good about that one. Once again, I, I like those Brewers pitchers. Um, kind of give you an idea of some other guys that went – a little bit more than him. Um, Steven Matz went at $8. Um, Hayden Wesneski was a dollar less than he was. Ross Stripling went for 10 Carlos Carrasco went for 10 Alex Wood went for $2 more at 8 He went for the same price as Jose Quintana, who's dealing with some injuries right now. Um, so overall, I sort of really liked my starters there. 
Nick Martinez is a guy that's getting a lot of buzz right now. Um, a lot of these fantasy guy experts like him. I kind of held on to a little bit. Nominated him, got him for six bucks. He's probably going to slot into the back end of that Padres rotation. Good team wins. Something that I talked with Rudy Gamble about, kind of leading up to this draft, was you know wins are going to be, are, are always so hard to chase and come by in these only leagues. So you got to make sure that you go and get those. So if you look, I mean, I got you know other than the, the Marlins duo here, I got a lot of guys that are on playoff teams in terms of starters, Phillies, Brewers, or you know potential playoff teams, Brewers. Um, and Padres. And then in terms of closers, I went a lot cheaper on closers than other people did, but I'm kind of playing the game that um, maybe some of these guys get saves. I think in Philly, if we look at, you know, the way that that team was managed last year, um, they had a lot of success sort of using closer by committee. They're going to apparently commit some more money to Sir Anthony Dominguez, who's going to sort of be locked in. I think Dominguez could end up being the closer. I'm not a big believer in Kimbrell, and I grabbed Gregory Soto in the reserve round as sort of my handcuff there. Um, so I feel good about those guys. Soto's probably going to be up when I when I um, send down Gavin Stone. He was sort of my Sal Frelick on my pitching staff. You know how much I like Gavin Stone. One of my guys, he's looked great in spring. The Dodgers might actually need Gavin Stone pretty early this year. He's not on the 40-man roster yet. Fine. Um, I think he's a guy that they could potentially add to the 40 man roster. And, you know, he he's eligible next December, excuse me, next December anyway, for the rule five, he's going to get added. So whether they do it now or then, you know, I feel like he's a guy that I can demote down. I can bring up Soto kind of have that, that dual closer thing going on with those two. And when Stone's ready to go, man, I think he's going to be really good. I think he's as major league ready as Bobby Miller is. Um, so I was happy. I was happy to get Stone for a buck. The other guy I grabbed was uh, Bruce, uh, Bruce Dard Gratterall, who um, Derek Cardi was very upset when I got Gratterall at $3. So we'll see. I, you know, The thing that I was talking about with um, Gray Albright and some other folks, Jeff Zimmerman, Jeff Zimmerman was, you know, we kind of feel like Vestia and Phillips were maybe like better relievers, and they're a little bit more matchup guys that maybe like the way the Dodgers are, they're very progressive. They can use those guys in the sixth, seventh, eighth inning to get some of those big outs throughout a game. And then Maybe Gratterall is a guy that comes in, sort of fills in that closer role, throws super hard, gets a lot of ground balls, kind of has that that big closer energy, you know, going on. Um, so I felt that three bucks, it was it, it wasn't a lot of risk. And you know, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And, I, and I'm searching for closers. But once again, that was kind of my mentality that we can go after Fab. Now I've heard from some folks that have been really successful in this, from like Eno, etc. That got to get your closers. Getting closers is important, but you know. I, I kind of felt like maybe the dollar values that you were seeing on some of the top closers wasn't going to be worth it. Um, yeah. I mean, just kind of looking throughout, like there were just guys that were out of like Ross Island and Glacius at $23. Devin Williams, who I really liked and was bidding in on uh, at 21. Um, yeah. I mean, I was just a little bit more weary of some of the closers that were out there and potentially what they could provide. The other thing is in an only league like this, 20 to 23 saves, something like that, honestly kind of keeps me in the middle of the pack in terms of save numbers. So if I can sort of get to that benchmark, I feel like I'll be good enough in other categories that I can balance it out a little bit. And um, I have my K guys. So I felt good about that. You know, um, that's in terms of the lineup. And then we'll, we'll, I'll just kind of walk you through here. We would draft for the reserve rounds. Um, I went with Ryan Nelson as my first reserve. I think he's going to be up this year. Could get some some good innings in, um, you know that uh, that Diamondbacks rotation. 
Um, I grabbed uh, um, Gregory Soto next, who I, I mentioned handcuffing him. Um, I grabbed Matt Mervis in the third round, and I got some some size when that one went. Uh, he's had a bad spring. He's headed off, um, you know, to the to the World Baseball Classic, and I think he's playing for Team Israel. So we'll sort of see how that goes. Um, but if Mervis, you know, it wouldn't shock me because Hosmer, and I've said this before, Hosmer's on a my, on a, on a major league minimum contract. So you know, them cutting him at like seven hundred fifty thousand dollars isn't huge. I think Mervis is going to get some time and, you know, we know what the power is. And, you know, if he's a guy that's coming up and hitting in that ballpark, he also might be a pretty good trade chip. If I need to upgrade, you know, another position, somebody is missing out at first base and needs to replace, you know, a, a poor performing first baseman, maybe Mervis, you know, right before he, right as he's getting called up, maybe has a little bit of pop and I can, I can sort of move him. Um, it says Max Schrock on my board. That is actually Casey Schmidt. Casey Schmidt was up in AAA, standout defense. He can hit. The Giants are sort of, I think this year, are going to be really aggressive in bringing up their best players and some of the talent that they've drafted um, because I think you know some of their guys are a little bit on the hot seat in the front office after last year's performance uh, and sort of missing out on some big names in free agency um, and Aaron Judge and Carlos uh, Correa. So I felt like that was sort of like, all right, I'm, I'm going to place a bet here on Casey Schmidt, another player I'm really familiar with. He played on the Cape, actually played in the same Cape team in the same infield as Matt Mervis. So I got a couple of my Katuit Cataliers. If you know me, you know I'm a, I'm a Catalier guy. Um, they're my favorite team on the Cape. I love all the Cape teams, but I got a little special place in my heart for Katuit guys, especially that 2019 team with Nick Gonzalez, among others. So grabbed him. And then um, the last two guys I grabbed were. Um, Michael Toglia, uh, who I think is going to be with the major league team this year. Um, he's got power. He's, I believe, he's first base and uh, outfield eligible. So there's some flexibility there for, um, for Toglia for me that I can put him into a couple different spots. He's probably the guy that's going to get promoted up to my major league roster when I demote Sal Frodic. Um, so, yeah, you know, and the last guy I drafted was Noel B. Marte. Christian Encarnacio Strand went the one, one pick before me. Um, so I wasn't able to grab him and I said, you know what? I'm going to grab the next best thing. I'm going to take Novo Novi Marte and unlike Christian Encarnacion Strand, Novi Marte is on the 40 man roster. They traded for him. We want to show him it's a great ballpark for him to hit in. Um, I don't know what the results will be like, but you know, at worst, maybe he's somebody I dump from my bench and replace somebody else, you know, to get them in the lineup. So that's sort of the team. That's, that's sort of what my ideas were. Um, I, I, I sort of do this thing where I nominate a lot of guys that I don't necessarily want. Some people kind of believe the opposite. I like to get money off the board. So I ha also had targets of like, I'm not going to go after this guy, but I'm sure based on my, my average auction calculator values here, he's going to go for 25 bucks. So I'm going to throw him out there. He's going to go for $18. And like that might drop some money down the board and allow me to go after some of the guys that I like. So I always sort of uh, nominate players that I don't really want and good players I don't want because I know I'm not going to get stuck with. And I start low at like $4 because it's like, hey, yeah, you know, Charlie Morton's definitely going to go for more than $4. I'm going to throw Charlie Morton out there and let somebody else grab the old man. Um, and that's, yeah, I, you know, I played around a little bit. I had a ton of fun. Uh, I, I was sitting next to um, Doug Dennis, who's hilarious, uh, the reigning champ from Baseball Prospectus in Mike Gianella. I had Frank uh, from CBS Sports right next to me. And, you know, Jeff Zimmerman was on my side of the table, as well as DJ Short. We had like a really fun sort of side of the table. And I was, I was all guys that I like, all guys I like chatting with. 
um, for years. So um, that was one of the best parts of the auction, frankly. I love auctions. Coming out of an auction, I'm always sort of exhilarated. It's always <laughs> emotionally wrought for me because I'm always trying to optimize and like the way you describe the Corbin Carroll, like I'd be kicking myself saying, oh, I should have been just that one extra dollar. I hate if I get someone and then like a pitcher who I like better actually went for less money. That always drives me crazy. So it's a, it's a love-hate relationship for me with, with auctions, but it sounds like you had a great time. So Yeah, I like I love in-person auctions because like, I just like to bring the personality to it. I like to read the room. Um, I think everybody has like certain tells or bluffs and I was kind of picking some of those out and, and kind of just, I was just feeling the vibe and doing my thing. You know, I sound like a fish concert, but uh, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was, it was a good time. But right. uh, let's, let's get into some pictures. We just uh, released our, our top. How many did we do? It was, it was over 200. We can just Two, call it a top 20. 220. We went real deep on our dynasty pitcher rankings. Those are up on the site now. If you go up to the top menu, click on fantasy, you'll see our big rankings module. All the positions are in there, which also means we're going to have our top, you know, dynasty list, whatever it is, 500 plus. We're going to have that up there really soon. So, um, you know, I'm going to, uh, we'll have that up and we'll be able to sort of chat about that. Of course, I'm now like, looking through this now and, and can't uh, can't click on this for whatever reason. Um, but why don't we throw it over to you? You had um, a target, your first target, one that we sort of debated a little bit. We had a funny tweet about it yesterday from uh, from our, our, our good friend, uh, Jordan Rosenblum. Um, so talk to me a little bit about sort of Jacob deGrom and why he's a target for you this season. Yeah, so a lot of talk recently about Jacob deGrom. Derek Cardi said, hot take, he's, you know, a first-round, possibly first-round pick in mixed drafts. Jordan Rosenblum uh, was talking about how he's clearly the best pitcher and then he's worth, you know, three Julio Urias's and two Zach Gallons based on the auction calculator. That got a lot of conversation <laughs> going. Rudy Gamble is in there. Phil Dussault is in there. So, you know, the heavy hitters were all talking about it. And all this in my target was before all that is that it actually seemed that DeGrom was sliding. If you do, if you do auction calculator for drafts for 2023 only, DeGrom ends up being number one, even mm -hmm. at number one pitcher, even at 145 innings compared to like Garrett Cole's 189 innings. It's just his ratios are so good that even if he throws 145 innings, he's he's the best pitcher. Even if he throws 120 innings, he's one of the top three pitchers. But because of all the talk of he's injured, you're never going to get 100 innings, first year of a big contract, all that stuff, he'd been sliding and sliding down to like the eighth pitcher being taken off the board in, uh, in ADP. And I just thought that's not right. He is so good that if he hits his projection 145, if he has standard aging curves, even in 2026, he would be projected to have the same ratios as Garrett Cole this year. So that's like four years of Jacob deGrom and you, you get to Garrett Cole, assuming he pitches those four years. So for me, he's one of the top pitchers in Dynasty for sure. He's definitely not being valued as one of the top. And so I think that's wrong. And I wanted to highlight that I think that's wrong. 
Yeah, I guess my concern with DeGrom a little bit is just the the health side of things. And, you know, he hasn't thrown 100 innings since 2019. He's 35 years old. Um, it's been elbow stuff, didn't have TJS. So it's like, I, I'm, I'm a little concerned in terms of if we get a full season of DeGrom. I know even at 120 innings, he's really good, but... I'm not so sure it's such a safe bet to even go after 120 innings. So I think that's one of the reasons that like his price within our rankings is probably a little depressed versus what, how you value him. We have him at nine. Um, I had him outside of my top 10, just not the kind of player that I want to gamble on. I think there's other options there that, you know, I'm a little um, less concerned with, you know, so, but it's an interesting one. I think, you know, for sure. I mean, he's going to probably prove me wrong and go 170 innings and have like an all-time Jacob DeGrom season, and everybody that, that rosters him is going to end up winning a lot of money. So don't necessarily listen to me, you know. it's <laughs> He's great. And it's funny because the player, the shape of the pitches, his mechanics, everything, like that's what I'm looking for. Like that's my prototype. So I do really like the pitcher. I do really like the player. I'm just a little risk-adverse when it comes when it comes to him. So um, I guess that's like our different, our differing opinions on DeGrom, why he's your target. Um, my target is somebody that we both really like, and my first one at least, and that's uh, Nick Lodolo. He's actually the player that I was going to talk about earlier that I got bid up to $19 on or 18 and then they went to 19 and I backed out against Frank from CBS. Um, Nick Lodolo. I love Nick Lodolo. Um, I like the fastball shape. I like the way it tunnels with the slider. I think there's more there with a changeup. And if you look at some of his numbers in the second half, so he was a little injured in the first half, missed a few months. Um, his final 14 starts, he was awesome. Um, went five or more innings 11 times, 30% K rate, 213 batting average against, 1.14 whip. Um, those are all sort of within the top 10 to, to 30 in, in each one of those, those uh, metrics. And, you know, I just like the traits. I like profile. I think that he gets enough ground balls and controls contact well enough. Um, that great America ballpark doesn't bother me as much. And, I, you know, he's young. And I think that we could have five, six, seven years where Lodolo really blossoms into one of the more special right-handed, uh, excuse me, left-handed pitchers in the game. So I'm a big Lodolo guy. I know you're a big Lodolo guy as well. Um, so that probably shouldn't be. Uh, too much of a shock that we both like them. Do you want me to go on my second one, or you want to go with your second target here? Uh, I can go. Who did okay, I have? Yeah. I had uh, Tarek Skubal. So, again, this is more of the value, my perceived value that the market has for him versus what I think his actual mm -hmm. value is. I think Tarek Skubal, people are forgetting about him. He was excellent when he was pitching. He's back mm -hmm. this year. Uh, he will be back June, July. The projections, even though he's missed a year, are still going to be good. Do the mm -hmm. age curve stuff. He's still going to be good. He's just sure. a solid pitcher, um, still very young. And like I have him as like an SP2 uh, at peak, and he's definitely not being uh, valued as an SP2. Of course, he's injured. Of course, he may not get a full recovery and, and bounce back to full form. It's sort of the Jacob deGrom conversation we just had. But... I think he's still worth a shot. He's still very young. Um, yeah, so I have him. We have him 90th on our list. He's kind of sitting right where Jack Flaherty is, Tyler Mall, uh, Molly. 
So a couple people who have injury concerns. And I think Scoobal is probably the best of that bunch that I would target. Yeah. And I think that he's sort of within that right window now where he's heard if somebody's competing in Dynasty, you know, and you're maybe a year away, he's like the perfect target because you're probably not going to pay full price. And, you know, by the end of August, early September, someone might be kicking themselves that they don't have Tarek Scoobal still. So I totally agree there. Um, I talked to Freddie Peralta already. I don't think I have to rehash that. We have him at 44. He's definitely a target for me. I like him quite a bit. Um, and he's one of those, you know, relief to starter pipeline from uh, the the Brewers. And they've done a really good job of sort of converting those guys. I think it's one of the reasons people are so on Aaron Ashby, though that didn't come to fruition because of some injuries. But um, yeah, you know, he's kind of an injury guy too. So there's definitely some risk there. I just like the price tag of where it is and don't think I'll, I'll be overpaying too much. Um, what do you, what about your sleeper here? You had Ken Waldachuk as your sleeper. We've talked a bit about Waldachuk this off season. I have him rostered in a few places. I really liked Waldachuk. And when I saw him and Wesneski when they were still with the Yankees, I preferred Waldachuk actually. And I was sort of um, the voice in the wilderness that preferred Waldachuk to Wesneski. So why do you like Waldachuk? I know why I like him. He's got uh, multiple pitches that all kind of grade above 100 and stuff. Plus I liked him with the Yankees as well. If you, if you do projections and major league equivalencies from how he was performing, he he's a solid pitcher and playing in Oakland, he may not get the wins, but he, you know, the, with the big ballpark, the big foul territory, he's gonna, he's gonna do as well as, you know, Sean Manaya, Frankie Montas, those guys, like those are definitely pitchers worth rostering, even though they're on bad, they were on bad teams. So, I mean, I have him as just a solid all-around player, a pitcher, very young, will get Ks, will have ERAs under four, just consistent, like Jose Quintana type is what I talk about, where these are the unsung heroes of fantasy teams, where you're just getting good, solid bulk that doesn't hurt your ratios. And for that, I have him as a sleeper. This is like an unsung hero of fantasy teams. Yeah, absolutely. I like him quite a bit. Um Agree. I have him on a few of my teams. I think he's going to be a back-end target for me, probably in like tout wars in a couple of weeks because it's head-to-head points. Got to roster a lot of these pitchers, so he's definitely somebody that I'd be going after. Uh, another guy that I liked, and, and my my sleeper, was Kate Cavalli. I got to see Kate Cavalli pitch uh, on Saturday, kind of fresh in my mind. He did give up that homer to Jordan Walker, but other than that, he was tremendous. He struck out five of the six batters that he faced, was touching 98-99, he was showing that great curveball that was really a big reason for him to turn around after those first seven starts. If you haven't heard about his curveball and his turnaround, you can go watch our quick hit videos. I did one with, with uh, Carlos Calaza where we broke down Kate Cavalli's sort of two seasons. Um, once he started leaning into the curveball, you know, stopped using the – brought the fastball usage below 50%, which is something that we like to see. Um, he's got a pretty good changeup. He was throwing that more. That's looked really good in spring training. The slider is more like a cutter. It's still a good pitch. Um, he has three really good secondaries, and he throws upper 90s. He's really athletic. You know, the stuff is back. The movement's back. I, I, I think this guy could be a huge boom for, for teams, and the Nationals really have no, other, have no reason not to have this guy up and starting part of the rotation, um, and I, I think that he will be, so – He's a guy that I'm way back, I'm way in on, and um, maybe more so than the market is. And I, I think that he's somebody that maybe target right now. 
whether you're competing or a rebuilding team, the price probably won't be too, too high. There's some injury concerns, some command concerns, some of those things. I don't know if it's all warranted. You know, I, I think that he's definitely a worthy target. And one of the reasons that I have Cade Cavalli as my sleeper. Um, we're not going to give away all of our ranks here. As we said, we went really deep on this list. We went to 220 names. That includes closers. Plus, we actually have another, let me see, 61 dynasty names of all prospects uh, in, in order of what their BA grades were with risk value um, sort of um, subtracted. So in all, we almost have 300 pitcher names here for you to sort of pick from and choose from. So should be a really useful resource. Um, Dylan did a ton of work on this as he has with all the rankings. And he keeps some of my crazy, you know, uh, conspiracy theory, crackpot pitching ideas in check. So uh, I appreciate all that you've done throughout this ranking process. And I'm excited for all the stuff that we're going to be doing throughout the season. Uh, and be on the lookout for the full Dynasty 500 plus list that we're going to be putting out in the coming days, um, which, you know, should be something that I think is going to be a, a great resource and we're going to gain some more functionality as the new BA site comes up in a couple of weeks. I was actually looking at some some screenshots of that today. So something for all of our subscribers uh, to be excited for. If you're not a BA subscriber, now is a great time to join. Prospect lists are all updated on the site. We actually added, we used to do like 31 to 40. We went even deeper than that. I think it was um, 1,231 prospects that we have reports on on the site. Draft stuff is really starting to kick off. College content's as good as it's ever been. Got a lot of fantasy stuff, of course, like we've never done before. And we got all these great podcasts. So there's a lot of stuff for BA subscribers. And if you're listening to the podcast, you don't even have to be a subscriber. So there you go. Dylan, any sort of closing thoughts here? I think we'll probably go through our dynasty list at some point and then maybe talk some of our tout teams in the coming weeks. No, we didn't get to talk about uh, you seeing a ghost down in Florida striking out Jordan Walker. We, uh, But check out that article if you haven't seen it. If you're a subscriber, Jeff uh, covered Kodai Senga's debut. Um, you're about to draft in tout. I drafted in tout last week, so we can talk about that next time. Um, kind of like how we went through your labor. And uh, yeah, yeah, I survived Snowmageddon up here in Toronto, and uh, it's starting to melt now. So, How many inches good. did you end up getting? I think it was 10 inches all in uh, like the next morning waking up it was 10 inches so and it was coming down fast it was like three inches an hour like it was pretty hardcore wow. but uh you wouldn't know it if you looked out today i mean obviously there's snow but it's not the <laughs> blankets of of white that it was i was in 85 degree weather watching jordan walker go four for four <laughs> with two homers one day and the next day he was striking out in the ghost fork ball from Cody sanga who looked pretty good the stuff is good you know um big fastball sits in the upper 90s He's got sort of a sweepy breaking ball. I think he calls his curveball um, an upper 80s cutter. And he's got that fork ball, which I think is an easy plus pitch. It's a really interesting look. The command wasn't great that day, but he kind of settled in after the first few batters and sort of, you know, he got Goldie out, you know, then retired Arenado and then struck out Jordan Walker. And then I think he got Nolan Gorman to open the next inning. So it was like, hey, you know, like first couple batters, he's shaking off the rust. The mound height's higher here. Um, you're also dealing with, you know, different seam orientation on the ball. So all things considered, I thought it was a perfectly fine start. We saw that even like Shohei Otani 
struggled when he first initially came over. If you remember him getting sort of smoked by a Mexican league team and everyone was like, bust, 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 because everybody always wants to yell that with all these guys as they come over. Uh, and we got WBC stuff. So we're going to get to watch a lot of these great Japanese players. I'm really excited for that. We got Cuban Netherlands tonight. Um, though by the time you listen to this, you in the future will have already probably watched that game and know how it ends. So Dylan, thank you for joining me. All those out there, I'm Jeff Ponce. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to like and subscribe and vote for us in the baseball pods bracket. I think we're going to win the first round. Vote for us in the next round. Help us bring this home. The upstart rookies here. (laughs) Have a good one, guys. Cheers.